Alrighty, what is up everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Jim Bratton Podcast. And before I get going with recapping these wild card playoff games from last week, uh, I want to touch on some news that involves a team that did not qualify for this season's playoffs, and that is of course the Tennessee Titans, they made some big news earlier this week by, after weeks of searching for a new general manager to sort of clean up the mess, lack of a better phrase, that was left behind by John Robinson, they have finally found their guy, Ran Carthon, is the new general manager of the Tennessee Titans. And when you look at his resume, there's definitely a lot of things to like about it. There's the obvious question mark that is involved with that really is involved with anyone who's never been a general manager before and has been in charge of the full personnel department, if you will. But when you look at his resume, there's a lot of things to like about it. Certainly, he's been with the San Francisco 49ers for the last few seasons since... 2017, I believe. He's recently, he's most recently served as their director of player personnel. And before that, he was with the St. Louis slash LA Rams from 2012 to 2016 as their director of player personnel, which When you look at those years, obviously, those years in that four to five year stretch of time were not necessarily the best years on the field for the Rams, but going into my next point, which is when you've been a set, when you're Ram Carthon, and you've been associated with who I consider to be some of the top personnel minds in the NFL. When you're talking about John Lynch with the 49ers and what he has done since taking over in San Francisco, you look at Les Snead with the Rams. And of course, what what did the Rams do last season? Oh, right, they just won the Super Bowl. And going back to Rand Carthon's earlier days as a scout with the Atlanta Falcons from 2008 to 2011, uh, working with a guy like a Thomas Dimitrov who helped, but really helped build the Atlanta Falcons into a Super Bowl contender. Of course, we all remember what happened 
when the Atlanta Falcons got to that Super Bowl. But the fact is the Falcons were leading up to that Super Bowl. They had obviously made some very good personnel decisions. And I think for a guy like Ram Carthon, who has learned behind all of these individuals everywhere he has been, that is certainly going to pay dividends, especially when you're talking about building a resume for a first-time general manager. And going back to even earlier days than his career in personnel departments. Uh, he also has a playing background as well. He played collegiately at the University of Florida, which is probably the only negative that I can find on his resume with him being a Florida Gator and all. That's probably the only blemish that he has. But after he was done in Gainesville, obviously, he uh, went on to play in the NFL for a couple of years with the Detroit Lions and the Indianapolis Colts. And so I am... I would say cautious, very cautiously optimistic about this hire. What I'm really most excited about is that the Titans did not choose to stay in-house with their, at the time, interim general manager, Ryan Cowden, who was, of course, a finalist for the job in all fairness. Uh, he was, of course, one of those holdovers from the John Robinson administration. And, of course, I'm sure the Tennessee Titans are wanting to clear out as many remnants as they can from the John Robinson administration, aside from Mike Vrabel as the coach, of course. But... I am very much cautiously optimistic, I would say, about this hire. I'm very much looking forward to hearing this introductory press conference to see what Ram Carthon's vision is for this Tennessee Titans team and what the steps are that he expects to take to get the Tennessee Titans in a position to climb that mountaintop and reach the ultimate goal of success in the National Football League, which is, of course, winning the Super Bowl. And... Of course, maybe in that introductory press conference, he'll also take some questions about Trey Lance's cryptic Instagram story. 
Who knows? But I'm very much looking forward to watching it. Now, as it relates to these playoff games from this last week, uh, starting with the AFC, the Buffalo Bills really shocked me in the way that they had to outlast the Miami Dolphins, who were sort of hamstrung by having to start Skylar Thompson at quarterback because both Teddy Bridgewater and Tua Tagovailoa were both unavailable in this game. And in fairness to Skylar Thompson, he really held his own in a sense, his numbers were not terribly impressive. Uh, he finished 18 of 45 passing for 220 yards, a touchdown, and two picks, which is really, I guess, all you can expect from a seventh-round draft pick who is played some this season during the regular season, but when you're dealing with the pressure of a playoff game against one of the top teams in the conference, I guess that's really all that you can hope for throwing a seventh-round draft pick into the fire in that situation. So it was a very so-so performance by Skylar Thompson, although you do have to give the Miami Dolphins a lot of credit for finding a way to stay in this football game. But ultimately, I think the better team obviously came out on top and with all of the emotion that's been going on dating back to the DeMar Hamlin situation, it's kind of hard to not root for the Buffalo Bills and they were obviously playing this game with heavy hearts, not not just because of the DeMar Hamlin situation, but also the Bills have kind of been on a sort of on the field roller coaster, if you will, starting with the Obviously, the Bengals game and the aforementioned DeMar Hamlin situation, but also when you look at their regular season finale against the New England Patriots, where Naheem Hines takes back not just one, but two kickoff returns for touchdowns. Uh, the Bills have obviously been riding a roller coaster both on the field and off the field. And so 
they were able to, you have to give them credit for finding ways to overcome all of those roller coasters of emotion, if you will. And so, at the end of the day, I think the better team won in this case. Uh, I do like, to be fair to the Miami Dolphins, I do like where they are headed. They seem to be on the right track as far as being competitive in the AFC East goes. Even despite the fact that they will obviously have to play the Buffalo Bills twice a year. Uh, I think the AFC East is going to be very, very competitive going forward. Not just the Dolphins and the Bills, but also the New York Jets. If they can get that quarterback situation to where they think it needs to be, I think that'll pay dividends for them, and of course, the New England Patriots are the New England Patriots. That is really all that needs to be said. Bill Belichick is going to have that team competing each and every week. But the do- obviously there's a lot of things to like about the Miami Dolphins going forward. I'm really a big fan of their coach, Mike McDaniel. I think that his offense has sort of infused a lot of confidence in that group, and there's also a part of me that enjoys the fact that he's just kept and Feel free to look this up, everybody, but there's a part of me that also enjoys the fact that Mike McDaniel is just casually ripping vape pens on the sideline for all of the cameras, mid-play call, I believe, and so that just goes into another thing that I like about Mike McDaniel, I just really love his personality and his sort of relatability, if you will, to his players. And I think he, he inspires confidence in them. And I think the Dolphins are going to be a force to be reckoned with moving forward. But... In the meantime, it is the Buffalo Bills time, I guess. Uh, Moving on to the Bengals and the Ravens. Of course, the Cincinnati Bengals took home a 24-17 victory after probably one of the most, if not the most, exciting plays that I've seen from the NFL this season, which was Sam Hubbard's, I believe it was 98-yard, technically it was a, technically it was a 
fumble return for a touchdown. But when you look at the game film, it kind of, it sort of looked like a lateral, I guess. And, of course, the big man raced it back 98 yards for what ended up being the game-winning touchdown. And... I also have to give a lot of credit to the Ravens for the way that they played in this game, especially since they were without Lamar Jackson. Uh, He was, of course, sidelined due to the injury that he suffered. And if you ask Ravens, Running back, I believe it was J.K. Dobbins that said this. Uh, He said that if Lamar would have played, the Ravens would have ultimately won this game. But I guess we'll never know, will we? But the question, speaking of Lamar, the question now becomes does he stay with the Ravens long term? There are of course all sorts of contract issues that are going on with Lamar Jackson at the current moment. And you know, you've you've heard all of these possible things that could happen this offseason. Do they trade him? Do they sign him to a long-term extension? I think the... I think that time... This is one of those things that time is going to have to tell as it relates to this story. Uh, Lamar, of course, technically does not have an agent, which I think is one of the things that complicates this situation even more because he's, I believe, represented by his mother, technically. And there are, of course, all sorts of complications that go into really not having a technical executive as it relates to representation on your behalf. To my knowledge, uh, Lamar Jackson's mother is not a licensed sports agent. I could be wrong, but I have not heard or seen anything that would tell me otherwise. And so the question as I mentioned before, becomes what are the Ravens going to do? Do they trade him? I think if they were to trade him, they'd better be getting a king's ransom in exchange. And I'm sure there's, of course, been multiple teams that have shown interest in Lamar, but... At the end of the day, I think this is one of those situations where time is just going to 
have to tell the story as it relates to the Lamar Jackson situation. But the, with all of that being said, the Bengals are moving on to the divisional round instead of the Baltimore Ravens. Moving on to the third AFC playoff game from this past week, the LA Chargers and the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is literally, I cannot think of a better tale of two halves than this game that I'm about to describe to you all. I think it is the perfect tale of two halves. Because Trevor Lawrence, in the first half of this game, threw not one, not two, not the, and I'm going to get into, I've got, I guess I've got to get into, into the LeBron James mindset of not one, not two, not three. Trevor Lawrence threw four interceptions in the first half of this football game. How is, and when you see that, and you also take into account that the Los Angeles Chargers led this game 27-7 at halftime, you have to ask yourself, how can a team come back and win this game from facing all of those deficits? How is it possible? And reason it was possible is because, of course, the L.A. Chargers just completely blew it in the second half. Just a, a complete collapse. And that is just something that I did not expect to happen. I expected that the Los Angeles Chargers would win this game. And because they did not win this game, uh, there are also some things that have happened since that also surprised me. And that is that the Chargers have, I guess, decided to retain head coach Brandon Staley. They've, of course, made some changes in regards to the coaching staff having fired I believe their offensive coordinator and their quarterbacks coach and the main question that has come out of this game and it's a question that I've been asking as well the national media's been asking this question of with Sean Payton just casually available right now, why do you not fire Brandon Staley and try to bring Sean Payton in to further develop your young, up-and-coming star franchise quarterback 
in Justin Herbert and that is at the end of the day that is probably what I would have done given the fact that when you have a young up-and-coming quarterback like a Justin Herbert you want to do everything you possibly can to put him in the best positions you possibly can to provide success. Obviously, this guy in Justin Herbert is the first quote-unquote franchise quarterback that the Chargers have had since Phillip Rivers was there, which is going back quite a while now. And so with a guy like Sean Payton, who is just, and I know he's been courted by other teams, which is obviously another reason why you would want to try to bring him in to try to beat those other teams to the punch. I'm just really confused as to why the Chargers would go this way, but in fairness to Brandon Staley, I guess the Chargers have shown significant improvements in the last couple of seasons since Brandon Brandon Staley took over that job and when you look at all of the guys that the Chargers have in terms of talent, you've got Mike Williams who obviously did not play in this game against the Jaguars partially due to Brandon Staley's decision to play his starters in a meaningless Week 18 regular season game, which is probably another thing that can be added to the list in terms of why Brandon Staley should no longer be the head coach of the LA Chargers. Anyway, uh... The Chargers, going back to my main point, the Chargers obviously have some talent with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, and of course Justin Herbert as well. And, you know, maybe they're thinking if we can get the right offensive coordinator to come in and further develop Justin Herbert, that will be the best case scenario for us. Even with uh, Brandon Staley remaining on as the head coach. So, things are certainly not all bad for the LA Chargers or the Jacksonville Jaguars. And... Again, I'm just really surprised that they found a way to 
come back and win this game. I, I really am. I really am. But you have to give a lot of credit to the Jaguars. I'm still not going to do that stupid chant that the Jaguars fans do. I think I think it is the stupidest chant that I've ever heard from a fan base in any sport. And so if you're not familiar with the chant, just please feel free to YouTube it because I really don't feel like getting into it today. But I really don't think they're going to be I really don't think we're going to be hearing that chant much after this weekend given the opponent that the Jacksonville Jaguars will be facing in the divisional round, which I will get into more, a little bit more in detail here in a minute once I get through the NFC playoff games that took place this past week. Uh, Starting with the San Francisco 49ers outlasting the Seattle Seahawks in really just dominating fashion. It really was a complete team victory when you're talking about the win that San Francisco had this past week. Uh... And you have to give a lot of credit to Brock Purdy, who, Mr. Relevant, and of course the reason I refer to him as Mr. Irrelevant is because that is the, that is the nickname that comes with the last player that is selected in the NFL draft. And fact of the matter is that Brock Purdy has been anything but irrelevant since he has been inserted into the starting lineup for this team. And really, the question that I keep asking myself is, did did any of these scouts, when they were evaluating Brock Purdy, did did they really watch... Brock Purdy in college, I did. I saw a man at Iowa State who was more than competent at the quarterback position. I think he may, he's a very good decision maker. He gets the ball out of his hands in a timely manner. But did any of these scouts watch Brock Purdy in college, and I understand their eyes may have been more focused on Brees Hall, the promising running back for the New York Jets, was of course a teammate of Brock Purdy's when they were both at Iowa State, and so I can understand how Scout's eyes may have been on Mr. Hall more than Mr. Purdy. But did they really watch 
the not even putting number let's just put numbers aside for a second did they watch Brock Purdy at Iowa State and Brees Hall of course help Brees Hall of course helped out Brock Purdy in a lot of ways much like the San Francisco 49ers are doing now but did they watch those two guys play at Iowa State and then see the drop off in terms of just in general wins and losses from Iowa State over the last few year over over the last year did they did they really see that I don't think they did because fact of the matter is is that in my opinion Brock Purdy should have been drafted much higher than the I believe 200 I could be wrong but I believe the last pick of the last year's draft was 255 in the seventh round he should have gone much higher than that in my opinion and when you look at these numbers that I'm about to relay to you from the 49ers Seahawks game from this past week you begin to see why I'm of that belief he was 18 of 30 passing for 332 yards three touchdowns so a very impressive line from Brock Purdy and obviously and this is going into the San Francisco being the most complete team uh, probably in this year's playoffs when you look at the numbers that Christian McCaffrey has put up since they acquired him uh, just in this game alone on the ground he was he finished the game with 119 yards on fifth, just 15 carries averaging 7.9 yards a carry and in the air or through the air he uh had two catches for 17 yards and a score. And so Christian McCaffrey has just been a huge weapon for the Niners since he has came out, come over from Carolina. And going back to the complete team argument, even more than just Christian McCaffrey, uh, You've also got to look at a guy like Debo Samuel who can be used as a receiver and in the backfield as well. It's really interesting how the 49ers use all of these chess pieces that they have with having the flexibility of two guys in Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel that they can line up both in the backfield and in the slot as a receiver, for example. And 
boy, what, what, I've just got to take a moment to realize, what, wouldn't it be interesting if the Titans did something like that? And, of course, their new general manager, having come over from San Francisco, I don't know how much influence he will have on the offensive coordinator hire that needs to be made with the Titans, but wouldn't it be interesting to see the Titans line up with Derrick Henry and Traylon Burks or, I don't know, maybe a guy like Jalen Hyatt, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, in the backfield at the same time? Wouldn't that be hard to stop, potentially? Knock on wood, but that's just a little quick sidebar as it relates to the trend that the 49ers personnel usage could have. Uh, but as far as their other weapons go, I'm a really big fan of Brandon Ayuk, and I'm obviously a very big fan of a guy like Jawan Jennings for obvious reasons. Uh, and for all of my Tennessee Volunteers fans out there, you are certainly not strangers to the name Jawan Jennings. But, and I haven't even mentioned George Kittle yet, but... The 49ers just, main point I'm trying to make here is they just keep rolling on this machine-like pace that they are on with all of the the aforementioned weapons on the offense, and of course, their defense speaks for itself. I believe, statistically, it is the top-ranked defense in the league. Certainly top five in a wide variety of categories. But the 49ers have just been rolling as of late. And they, of course, rolled big over the Seattle Seahawks this past week. Alrighty, the second wild card playoff game in the NFC involves the Giants and the Vikings and I did not see the Vikings collapsing in the way that they did. At least not until next week or I should say this week in the divisional round. They of course decided to collapse at home in the wild card round. And so, of course, the question that a lot of people were asking before this game was which Vikings team is going to show up? And, of course, now we all know the answer to that question. Although, when you look back at the Vikings over the course of this season and all the one-score games 
that they won, uh, you begin to ask yourself, are they, were they really that good to begin with? And I guess now we know the answer is, eh, not really. But on the other hand, you've also got to give the New York Giants a lot of credit as well. And this, is, this game may be the reason why Brian Dayball ends up taking home the NFL Coach of the Year award because he has done a very impressive job with managing this football team in the one year that he has been there. And he has sort of reestablished the culture that comes with the New York football giants, at least in terms of the way fans see the pedigree of the New York Giants over the course of the last decade or so. And they've obviously got a revitalized, they have revitalized their rushing attack with a guy like Saquon Barkley, who let me pull up some of his stats from this past week against the Vikings. And on the, on the ground, he wasn't nearly as effective as they probably would have wanted him to be. He finished with nine carries for 53 yards. He still averaged nearly six yards a carry, but he was also effective in the passing game as well, finishing with five catches for 56 yards. And so there's a lot of things to like about having a guy like Saquon Barkley and having a coach in Brian Dayball who knows how to effectively use a guy like Saquon Barkley more so than the previous staff did. But you've got to give a lot of credit to the Giants in many respects. I'm not that optimistic about their upcoming playoff game against the Philadelphia Eagles in the divisional round, but today I've got to give a lot of credit to the G-Men, as they call them. This was their first playoff win in 11 years. And so that just speaks to what I was mentioning earlier about reestablishing that culture that comes with one of the premier franchises in the NFL in the New York Giants. And rounding out the NFC playoffs, uh, I guess the only question that needs to be asked here is, how about them Cowboys? Uh, I did not expect the... Dallas Cowboys to play the way 
or at least win this game. I expected them to play well, but at the end of the day, I thought that Tampa Bay would come out on top. That was ultimately not what happened as Dallas really dominated this game from start to finish and came out with a 31-14 to victory. Dak Prescott, Dakota Prescott, was very impressive in this game, both on the ground and through the air. Uh, through the air, he was 25 of 33 passing for 305 yards, four touchdowns, and on the ground, he finished with seven carries for 24 yards and a touchdown. And so, really impressive line from Dak Prescott and also the Dallas Cowboys defense stepped up and did their part as well in limiting the get and I say limiting the goat Tom Brady to a losing effort obviously but Tom Brady obviously got his as they say in this game as well he th- he threw the ball 66 times which is which and I'm looking I'm literally looking at the stats right now in real time and I guess when you think about it uh, the fact that Tom Brady threw the ball 66 times it really makes sense now as to why the Tampa Bay Buccaneers lost this game in the way that they did Uh, he finished 35 of 66 for 351 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. But just the lack of ba- I guess the la- it was the lack of balance that has really been plaguing the Bucks all season, and the inability of their offensive line to hold up and offer. Protect the protection that is needed for Tom Brady and the running game to be successful. The running game obviously did not show up as well. Uh, playoff Lenny, Leonard Fournette, uh, was anything but playoff Lenny in this game. He, he carried the ball five times for 11 yards. Yeah, shocking. When you're talking about a guy who has the nickname of Playoff Lenny and ultimately did not show up in the playoffs. But you have to give a lot of credit to the Dallas Cowboys. Just to wrap this up, you have to give a lot of credit to the Dallas Cowboys. How about them Cowboys? as they say. And speaking of Tom Brady, I have to touch on this. 
before I get out of here. Speaking of Tom Brady, uh, he is, of course, going to be a free agent in March. And, of course, the rumor mill has already begun to spin as far as what his next move will be. And I think he's really got a few options. Here are some of my top options as it relates to Tom Brady. I do not want to see him in a Tennessee Titans uniform at this point. At at this point, a few years ago, I would I did I would have and did, but John Robinson, of course, decided to bring Ryan Tannehill back, which was not a bad, in fairness, was not a bad decision, but it sort of got a large chunk of the fan base in an uproar of, oh my God, we could have had Tom Brady, but I do not want to see him in a Titans uniform at this point. Uh, Number two is the Raiders in Las Vegas. And there's a lot of reasons why I say that. I'm gonna mainly going to stick with the on-the-field reasons, which is the variety of weapons that the Raiders have at their disposal when you're talking about Devon, a guy like Devontae Adams, uh, having a guy like Hunter Renfro in the slot, a tight end, when healthy, like a Darren Waller and obviously a Josh Jacobs in the backfield doesn't hurt either. But, and obviously there's some familiarity with Josh McDaniels as well. Uh, We can argue whether or not Josh McDaniels should still be the head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. That's a conversation for another time. But there's certainly a lot of weapons that would be appealing to Tom Brady. And that's why I think the Raiders could be very enticing to him. But the number one option for, in my opinion that Tom Brady should have explore, should explore, and I think he should have already done this after winning the Super Bowl a few years ago, which is just to retire and stay retired and not come back two weeks later ready to play football again. Uh... Fact of the matter is, is that Tom Brady was not himself this season in a lot of ways. And the man has been going through a lot of on-the-field and off-the-field problems over the course of the last year. And when you look at all of that, and you also look at the fact that Fox has offered Tom Brady a $375 
million dollar contract over 10 years, I believe, are the terms of the deal. Uh, $37.5 million a year. That is a lot of doll hairs, by the way, to broadcast football games for Fox. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't pass that up, and I don't really think a lot of other people would either. But that's another reason why I think Tom Brady should explore finally retiring. And do I think... Do I think that that is going to end up happening? Honestly, I sort of don't because I really don't know if the competitive edge that Tom Brady has is going to allow him to bow out the way he did given or the way he would be bowing out given uh, the Bucks' latest performance against the Cowboys. I really don't think the competitor in him is going to let that happen. I think it is what needs to happen. But if you were to ask me the question, do I think that Tom Brady will be back in 2023, the answer is probably yes, but of course, he's going to take as much time as he needs to, to end up making that decision, and so we're just going to have to wait and see what Tom Brady decides to end up doing. Uh, Really quickly, before I get out of here, Uh, I'm not going to be making predictions today. I'm going to have to hold off and do that on my social media pages for the show. But just to give a quick little preview of these playoff games in the AFC, uh, you've obviously got the... And the ones, this is when the one seeds come into effect now in the divisional round. And in the AFC, you have the top-seeded Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Jacksonville Jaguars. I'm, again, still not doing that stupid chant, by the way. And I, as I said earlier, there won't be a lot of that chant going on this weekend in Jacksonville, after this weekend, I should say. Uh, So you've got the Chiefs and the Jags, and you've also got the, I don't think it's technically a rematch, but because it is the game that was canceled due to the DeMar Hamlin situation, but you've got the Bills and the Bengals in the other AFC divisional playoff game in the NFC. Uh, the top-seeded Philadelphia Eagles will be taking on the 
New York Giants, and you've also got what I think will end up being the best game of the weekend as the San Francisco 49ers host the Dallas Cowboys. There's going to be a lot of very exciting football going on this weekend, folks, so get your popcorn ready. And with all of that being said, that is pretty much all of the time I have for today. Thank you guys so much for listening to this edition of the Jim Bratton Podcast. I very much appreciate it, and I'll see you soon.